Golfers Unite. It's Nick's Golf Guy Podcast, Round 22, bringing you another avalanche of average golf guy illumination. An injection to stimulate you for the game we all love and sometimes hate. So stick around. Welcome to Nick's Golf Guy Podcast, Round 22. I'm coming to you from Cypress Point Golf Course in Virginia Beach, Virginia today, and I'm glad you could join me. Today I'm launching my newest installment of Nick's Golf Guy Podcast called The Golfer Journey. The Golfer Journey will be an in-depth conversation with the most interesting golfers here in coastal Virginia area and beyond. So I would like to begin with my first episode of The Golfer Journey today by introducing my guest Today's podcast, Miss Jessica Spicer. Jessica, how are you today? I'm good, Nick. Thanks for having me again. Well, thanks for coming on. You've had a very busy uh, last couple of months. That I have. I've been, uh, (laughs) a lot of people here have been asking me, like, oh, I didn't realize you still worked here. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. (laughs) Occasionally. Occasionally. Good. We'll get into your uh, your busy summer here shortly. But last time we talked was back in early May. Uh, it was uh, round 12 of Nick's Golf Guy podcast. And we had kind of learned a little bit about you, uh, where you're from, wh- how you got into the game of golf, um, uh, your career at Virginia Tech, and um, how that kind of catapulted where you landed pretty much right now is, uh, you know, furthering your golf journey. Um, go back to a quote I got from you on the last one. Um, and you said, I love the game and that what's, that's what brings me back every day. What, uh, has that resonated throughout your summer so far in leading up to, to, uh, your, your busy and successful year? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think competing in tournaments is my favorite part of golf. It's just, you know, I mean, sometimes it's a lot of pressure and it's stressful, but it's just so rewarding, you know, when it goes well. And even when it doesn't, it's such a learning experience and it's so much motivation to get out there and get better and try to do it again. And, you know, so that's that's my favorite part is when I get to go out there and really showcase what I've been working so hard for and, you know, just try to get the ball in the hole as fast as possible. And um, yeah, so it's it's been a great summer and that's definitely kind of been what's motivated it awesome awesome good to hear so let's go back uh where we finished our our podcast round 12 podcast uh on may the 5th and you said that you had a couple of tournaments lined up for the summer and um i got a text from you with a picture and you said me and my sister brought home some some new hardware this uh this weekend uh, what, could you go ahead and expand on that? Because I think that was kind of the first tournament you had after after we last spoke. Yeah, I think it was very shortly after we spoke. Um, I went and played in the VSGA Women's Four Ball with my sister Sarah, and we got off to an awesome start. I think we, uh, of course, playing best ball, we birdied, I think, our first seven holes or something, and we shot, I can't even remember what it was now, but like 13 under or something on the first round, and we were leading only by, I think, four strokes maybe it wasn't 13 under it might have been 11 under or something but we shot really low and um but we only had a four stroke lead and we didn't play as well on the second day we ended up going into a playoff with uh, Lauren Greenleaf and Alex Austin two really good players from Virginia um and so on the first playoff hole uh neither my sister or I hit great drives no one in the group really did um but she hits this hybrid out of the rough to like three feet 
And so that's kind of what you want to see your partner do before you hit your shot. <laughs> so then I, I just hit uh, an iron shot to like maybe 20 feet or so. Um, and the other two girls hit both hit the green, but neither of them were close. And so Alex putted first and she just missed her birdie putt. And it was like right on my same line. Of course, my sister's in there like three feet away. So looking really good for birdie. But I just happened to go ahead and drain my putt, which I think was really helpful because uh, it really put the pressure on Lauren. And, you know, I think she obviously knew that she had to make her putt to extend and she just hit it through the break a little bit. And, uh, you know, so my sister kind of joked and she was like, you know, I, I hit this great shot in there and then you had to upstage me. And I said, no, I was just taking the pressure off you. Sure, you know, absolutely. I didn't want it to come down to that. But so it was just, it was really fun to do it in that kind of fashion. And, you know, obviously with my twin sister, it just made it, made Cherry it that on much top, better. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember, uh, looking up, looking up the, uh, the piece online and there was a picture of you fist pumping out uh -huh. of the putt. So it was, uh, kind of rewarding to see, see you, uh, win one for sure. for sure. So let's go on, um, to your individual achievements. There were a couple of tournaments where you really came in close, mm -hmm. close second, um, Go ahead and ex kind of expand on where your successes were in on your individual achievements uh, with your tournament play. Yeah, definitely. So I think after that tournament, I went and played in the um, the VSGA Women's Stroke Play, which I was actually the defending champion. I won it last year. And I really, I mean, I didn't play badly, but I didn't play nearly as well as I wanted to. Um, I kind of was in contention, I think, on the last day. Um, but then I sort of just fell back on the back nine. And so I was a little bit disappointed by that and feeling sort of frustrated. And then I went to a tournament called the Donna uh, Invitational, which is in Boonesboro, uh, which is a really cool, like old fashioned kind of golf course, which I really enjoyed playing. And I played really well. I think I finished like eight under for the three rounds and I went into a playoff there. Uh, which unfortunately I lost on the first playoff hole uh, to one of my uh, to a future Virginia Tech golfer <laughs> who's oh. a freshman there now, which uh, was okay. fun. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, I was actually two down going into the last hole uh, in regulation, and I had to make like a probably 25 footer for birdie on the last hole, and then she made bogey to even get into the playoff. Um, so it was obviously disappointing to lose, but it was really encouraging to see that I could play really well and, you know, score pretty low. Um, and so that definitely kind of gave me some encouragement going into the rest of the summer. Um, and then obviously I kind of capped off my summer with a win at the Carolinas match play, which was really fun. And I've been the runner up at that tournament uh, loss in the final match, I think twice now. So it was really fun to finally get it done and this that was year. that was in pinehurst wasn't it was that that pinehurst? was in greenville north greenville. carolina okay mm -hmm. all right yeah. let's talk about uh mental challenges uh like yesterday i was out on the course and i was working uh on my putting but th that mental challenge on the on the green like especially the short putts right you got like that three foot putt. You've made it a million times on the putting green, but you miss it on the on the course, right? Mm -hmm. um, last time we talked, and uh, we talked about one of the biggest challenges you have in tournament play is your is your mental challenges. Um, did you strengthen that? Was that still a barrier uh, going through the process um, in tournament play this year? 
So I think it definitely is probably one of the bigger hurdles that I need to overcome. Um, and I've talked to my coach about that. I've talked to my sister and my family about that. Um, you know, it's just kind of having that self belief that I can do it. And I think I do on certain stages. Like when I played in the Carolinas match play, I felt confident that I was one of the top contenders and I knew that, you know, I was going to have a chance to win as long as I played well. And I felt like I was playing pretty well going into that. Um, and so I felt really confident there, but then, um, obviously at the end of the year, I tried to go to Q school and I think there it kind of showed up a little bit. I mean, I was still content with how I played for it being my first try. I mean, obviously I missed the cut, so that was disappointing, but I kind of surprised myself a little bit, I think with how I played. And, um, but I definitely felt like when I was on that bigger stage, there was a lot of looking around and feeling like everybody there is really good and kind of wondering, do I belong here? And, you know, obviously when you're having those kind of questions, it's going to be hard to really play your best. Why, why would you feel that way? Uh, out of curiosity, do you belong here? I've, I mean, I've played with you before, you know, I've seen, I've seen your talent up close and you work very hard to, you know, get to that stage. Why would you have that, that, uh, that question in your mind if you're that, you know, should mm -hmm. you be here? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of my personality. Like I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I've always been very modest. You know, I'm not somebody that, you know, kind of walks around like they're the best. Even when I think that I kind of try to hide it because I don't, you know, I don't want to come off as cocky or anything like that. But, you know, I think obviously in sports, it can be good to have that to an extent. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's just kind of the way that I've grown up mm -hmm. is always trying to be better, always being critical of myself. And so I think when I get to a stage like that, it's hard for me to switch out of being critical and trying to get better and just trusting in myself and believing in myself and just seeing myself as one of the best players, you know, which I mean, I think a lot of people, when I tell them that I struggle with that, they don't even necessarily believe it. I guess I do a good job of, of acting like I, I know that I belong, but I think deep down, I guess I, I've never wanted to come across as one of those people who thinks they're really good when they're really not. <laughs> and, um, but you know, the saying, you know, you can't let the fear of striking out, keep you from playing the game. And so I think that's something that, you know, I need to work on is, is not being afraid of other people thinking that I don't belong and just not worrying about what other people think and know that I belong. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, and it's, it's, I feel the same way as like anybody who mm -hmm. wants to play with me in a tournament, I don't want to have any part of, you know uh -huh. what I mean? Like yeah. you do not want to play with me in a tournament because yeah. I'm going to be lagging behind. And right. I knew if I were to be out there, I would be like, I don't belong here right. for whatever reason, just because I'm a hacker. And yeah, but I, I love the game so much as you do. Uh -huh. uh, you're just at that stage. And I, I think it's interesting. Um, the personal aspects that we all mm -hmm. kind of approach and things that kind of get inside of us, uh, especially at that level mm -hmm. when you are playing against uh, players who are a lot better than you, for right. sure. One question I have, uh, we, uh, I have a quote from you, uh, not really a question, but something for you kind of to expand on mm -hmm. um, from when you said it back in, in May. You said, you can't always control the outcome, but I try to do the 
best I can to control the process. Mm -hmm. um, so what have you learned in your uh, last couple of months with your, your play and your successes? Um, has that kind of come to fruition to help you pursue a, a better game? For sure. I mean, I think it's really easy to say that, and I think we all know it's the truth, but it's harder to kind of accept it. You know, sometimes you put in all the work, you've done everything right, and then for some reason, you know, things just don't work out on the day of the tournament. Or maybe you play really well and somebody else just plays better. You know, you get a bad break or something like that. Um, but I think it that, that kind of gets back to what we were just talking about. You know, it's like everybody – fears embarrassment I guess of well what if things don't go well but you have to kind of try to get past that and understand that you can't control that and sometimes no matter what you do you're not going to play well and you might even feel a little bit embarrassed of the result you know but you just have to keep working and know that if I'm controlling everything I can control then it's a success no matter what the score shows or the outcome shows. Absolutely. I felt the same way about my score yesterday. I was like, <laughs> it was a 95, but it was a really good 95. Right. You know exactly. I mean? Like exactly. a couple of putts, you mm -hmm. know, I had a couple of putts just stop right before, you know, dropped in. Right. And it was different from par or bogey or whatever. Yeah. So it was like, um, again, you know, we're still working on those little things and no, no golf game is perfect. Would you agree right. with me? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think even Tiger Wood could or, you know, the, even the great ones uh, could agree with that. For sure, yeah. A lot of times I'll be talking to my coach after a tournament and I'll say, well, I had, you know, this birdie putt that I should have made. And he always stops me and goes, everybody has things that they should have done. You know, yeah. nobody's ever going to play a perfect round of golf. Um, you know, I don't know. If, I guess that would be shooting 18. You know, yeah. nobody's ever going to do that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, it's never going to be perfect. And you just have to accept that you're doing the best you can. Um, have you uh, evolved as a better player in the past couple of months based on these situations that you had and what we just talked about? I definitely feel like I have. I mean, I feel like I've learned so much about myself, especially going to Q school. You know, I think I learned so much about my game personally, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are, what I need to improve on. And I think just in general, the last couple of years, I don't know if it's just getting older and maturing, but I feel like I just have a much different outlook on golf than I used to. You know, I think I've realized that it's not so much life or death. You know, I think one example was when I went into that playoff um, in at the Donna, I, I didn't feel as nervous as I think I would have in the past because I knew I was like, if I win, it's going to be great. But if I lose, you know, obviously it's not going to be quite as great, but everything else in my life is still going to be the same. You know, nobody that I really care about is going to love me any less. Nobody's going to be any less proud of me. I mean, you always get those people on the range that love to talk to you and, you know, tell you that, you know, you didn't accomplish what you could have accomplished or whatever, but those people really don't matter. And I think I've kind of finally started to, to realize that. And, and I think that that kind of evolution of the way I view my golf game has changed a lot since you know, when I was in college, every shot felt like life or death, you know, and if I hit a bad shot, it felt terrible. And if I hit a good shot, it felt so good. But yet I was afraid that I was going to mess it up on the next shot, you know, and now I, I've just completely changed from that. And, you know, I don't know if it's just experience or maturity or what, but I'm glad that I, I'm glad that I've evolved away from that. Well, good. <laughs> Excellent. That's good to hear. Uh, good to hear that you're 
you know, moving, moving away from, from maybe some of the negative energy, mm-hmm. uh, that you've allowed in the past. Um, speaking of what is, what exactly is Q school? So it's the qualifying school for okay. the LPGA tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and anybody can go to stage one. You just have to be willing to pay the money and travel out to California and play. Um, and then, you know, if you make the cut at stage one, you get status on the Epson tour, which is the tour below the LPGA tour. Um, I think technically I will get some status on that tour. It won't be very good, but um, might get into a tournament or two. But, you know, the farther that you make it in Q school, the better your status is like on, you know, the Epson tour, the LPGA tour. So it's basically it's just the tournament that qualifies you for getting your tour card. Oh, okay. So how did you, what, what was the process for you? Um, did, do you have to play, uh, how many rounds did you have to play out in California? Is it just one round or how does that whole work? So it's actually four rounds. Okay. Um, and then there's a cut. Um, and like I said, I missed the cut, I think by like two strokes or something to move on to stage two, um, which would have gotten me status on the Epson tour. So it obviously was a little bit disappointing, but you know, I think I'm going to, try it at least one more time next year just knowing that I came so close when I really hadn't had any experience in professional events before Um, and like I said you know I kind of had all those doubts about do I belong and I think playing there even though I didn't make the cut obviously kind of helped me to see that I was at least close you know and and that it wasn't it isn't a crazy idea that I could do it you know so I want to give it at least one more try and really you know, be committed to it and, and feel sure that that's what I'm going to do and give it my all one more time. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, so uh, what overall, uh, out of this year, have you, what have you learned about yourself as a golfer most? I think I've learned that I'm probably better than I think I am. (laughs) And, um, that's a that's a good conclusion for the for the year. It is. Yeah. It is good. Um, and I think you know. I just. I think I. I've learned how to practice better. How to kind of build that confidence. I've learned what I really need to work on and what is probably better than what I would have thought it was before. Um, so yeah, I think I've just learned a lot about my game. I've learned a lot about myself and just kind of learned how to manage the whole process and how to manage practicing and everything you know before this obviously I mean I still have a part-time job so I'm not like a full-time golfer yet but I still have more time to practice than I did like when I was in college so I think just kind of learning how I want to manage that and you know how to balance working as hard as possible but also you know conserving my energy and stuff like that has been been a big Thing that I've learned this year. Good. So you just you know, piqued my interest because it's kind of going along the lines of, of what we've been talking about. You said not yet. Could you expand on that a little bit? You're not a you're not a full time golfer yet. Well, what, obviously, what exactly are there some plans in the future that we? Yeah, I mean, so obviously, going to Q school, the goal was to get my card and become a professional golfer, um, but since I didn't do that I still might turn pro this year I haven't 100% decided but most professional golfers would know that playing on you know mini tours and even the Epson tour you're really not going to make 
probably enough money to sustain yourself and right. you know it's a very expensive lifestyle having to travel and all that stuff so you know obviously i'm gonna have to keep working a little bit right. which is hard because there's people that aren't doing that and so they have more time to practice and can really put their whole focus into golf um but you know i've always never been someone to shy away from difficult things and, right and i think that i i can handle that extra challenge okay cool what what about like a, and i just want to throw this out right? do some of these golfers have sponsorships mm -hmm. and they you just wear their gear and mm -hmm. and they pay you money to travel and is that is that usually how it goes or for in the women's game it's not as much so maybe as the men's and obviously like at at the lpga level uh once you have some success then you can get that but it's kind of hard because you know once you make it and you maybe don't need the help people are willing to help you out right. and when you haven't quite made it yet <laughs> nobody's really willing to pay you to to wear their stuff um but it is possible to get private sponsorships you know mm -hmm. and i've kind of talked to a few of the members out here at cypress point um a little bit about that uh, so that's definitely something that's that's been discussed a little bit but you know obviously that would be dependent on whether or not i'm going to turn pro this year which i might do but i still haven't 100 percent decided interesting interesting um, speaking of staying on track, let's talk a little bit about the growth of women's golf. And mm -hmm. uh, I'd like to just know how, how you f uh, feel about how it's grown over the last couple of years. And, and what do you think uh, is the reason that, for that? It definitely has grown, um, which is awesome to see. I mean, even just in the time that I went to college, I think that I could see the women's game just elevating so much to where there's some really good players out there now and i mean q school it used to all be played on one course now it's played on three courses because they had over 300 people go to stage one wow um which is crazy you know that there's that many people that are trying to play professional golf which is awesome and now even at the mini tour level you're kind of seeing more development there, more tours that are really trying to cater to women trying to play professional golf, which I think is really cool and really awesome. I don't exactly know what has created that. I mean, I know before I went to college, everyone used to talk about how there were so many unused women's golf scholarships. And so I don't know if that kind of pushed women or, you know, parents to get their daughters into golf. So, hey, you could get one of these unused golf scholarships. Uh, so that might have had something to do with it. But, you know, I think the sport is just growing and people are realizing that, you know, it's a great, great opportunity. And there are some opportunities for women's golf, obviously not quite on the scale of the men's game but you know i think they're moving in some really good directions like you know getting a sponsor for the u.s open and having that be the biggest purse that they've had yet i think stuff like that is moving it in a great direction wow rocking the needle huh yeah for all sure. all right well okay so let's uh talk about um uh, what your future plans here before the winter kicks in any tournaments you plan on playing so I'm kind of planning to spend more of the off season working on, you know, things that I want to change. Not that I want to change a whole lot, but just, you know, kind of working on my game and having a little bit of a break. But I am going to play in a tournament in October, the Maryland Women's Open, um, which is right near where my sister lives. So hopefully I kind of get some good vibes staying with her. And um, that'll just be kind of fun little opportunity to check in on the game and, and make sure I get those competitive feelings again so I don't go too long in between tournaments there you go all right
let's talk about kind of look up to on the LPGA tour. Are there uh, any one one player stand out, or are there a couple of players that you follow that you kind of look up to, mm-hmm. or you've looked up to in the past? Well, growing up, my sister and I, we would always go and watch the tournament at Kingsmill, um, and for some reason, we always started following Morgan Pressel. Okay. And she was always super nice to us. You know, we were these cute little twin girls. And so she would come over and talk to us. And she was always just so nice. So we started following her every year. And she would let us walk inside the ropes with her and stuff. And even now, like, we follow each other on Instagram. And sometimes she'll comment on my stuff or, like, send me a message or something, which is really awesome. So I think growing up always kind of followed her journey and kind of aspired to be like her and you know obviously also I think like Annika Sorenstam and stuff you know because she was just such a great player and it's awesome to see you know what she did I guess I think it was last year at the women's senior U.S. Open to come back and win after you know having kids and all that stuff is just just awesome and and you know to see her work ethic and stuff like that is just inspiring. Do you see yourself as being a role model for young ladies coming up and playing at playing at a, a lower level now, but uh, looking for that mentor in the future? Uh, do you see yourself fitting into that role? For sure. I would love to. I mean, I hope that one day I could be a role model. You know, even now, uh, we don't have a whole lot of junior golfers out here, but I have talked to a few younger girls and boys, you know, that play and, and just kind of try to give them some advice, especially about college golf. I've talked to a lot of high school not a lot of but a few high school players about you know their transition to college and kind of tried to give them my advice because you know obviously there's nothing like getting that experience and going through that process and knowing what it's like and I did it for five years so (laughs) I feel like I'm somewhat of an expert on it you know so I love just trying to tell people the things that I wish that I had known going into the process um and so yeah I mean I would love to be a role model and kind of give back in that way and help to motivate people. Well, awesome. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there'll be a couple of young ladies in the, in the near future. that love to love to tee it off with you and, and so. get your That'd expertise and, and, and leadership on the course. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. It was, it's been great talking to you, but uh, we do have a couple of, couple of side things that we have to uh, do that we did last time. Okay. And uh, I need to kind of change, switch clubs here a little bit. First, we're gonna. I'm gonna do a quick question, uh, B Y O F, and then we're gonna get on with the golf language lesson. Are you okay. ready? I'm ready. Okay. So one of my uh, golf language lessons, some several rounds ago, was B Y O F. Build your own foursome. Groundwork rules here. It could be any person at all, dead or alive. Who would you choose to be your ultimate B Y O F, and what course would you play? This is such a hard question. I've even thought about this before. Well, my dad and my sister both play, so I think obviously I would have to include them in probably Tiger Woods. Tiger gets the nod. <laughs> Tiger gets the nod Tiger on the Spicer the BYOF. Yeah, we all just love Tiger. I mean, he's such a great player. You know, obviously in my time, you know, watching him play as I was growing up and getting into golf, sure. you know, he's the best that, you know, has done it in 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 the time that I have been following golf and some of the things that he could do is just amazing and you know talking about work ethic like he definitely has it yeah um as far as where we would play 
That one's tough. I mean, maybe Augusta. I've never played Augusta, <laughs> so that would be pretty cool. Um, That's usually one, one or number one or number two on right. anybody's yeah, list. Yeah, it's definitely got to be. So, I mean, I think that would be that would be really awesome. But you know, obviously, got to include my sister and my dad because sure. I love playing with them. But I think it would be so cool to just watch Tiger in person and really see, you know, how good he truly watch is. the magic up close, exactly. right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, great. So now we have Jessica's BYOF on record here at Nick's Golf Guy podcast. <laughs> I finally nailed it down. Now we're going on to the golf language lesson. Okay. Jessica, you've played this before. I have. And I believe you were two out of three last I think time. I was. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. So I've kind of gathered a couple of words that I stumped other golfers on in, okay. in past podcasts, and maybe you might be able to squeak, squeak out uh, a three for three. <laughs> golf terms or uh, golf nickname terms or slang terms okay. uh, that are used on the course throughout the world. Are you ready? I'm ready. And I the think. first the first golf term of the golf language lesson is Saddam Hussein. What's a Saddam Hussein? In terms of golf, I have no idea. In ter- I got <laughs> I got her she she's struggling on the first first <laughs> word. Okay. It's a slang term associated with going from bunker to bunker. Saddam Hussein. I he see. Was hiding. I see. <laughs> so it's not something that you want to do. You know, no. that's probably why I've never heard of it. Yeah, you know? exactly. It doesn't apply to me exactly. very often. <laughs> Speaking of bunkers, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to hold on in a second. Okay. Um, what is a worse shot for, in your opinion, a water shot or a bunker shot? Like going into the water? Yeah, going into the water or going into the bunker. Well, I, I would say at least with most bunkers, you know, maybe not some of those bunkers they have in Scotland or right. whatever, but I would rather be in a bunker than in the water. Right. In the water, you get a penalty stroke. In a bunker, I mean, for an advanced golfer, I would say most bunker shots, it's You're obviously not one. ideal, but it's not that bad. Right. right. You're still thinking you can probably hit a good shot unless you happen to get a really bad lie or right. something. So definitely would rather go in the bunker than in the water. I hear you. I hear you. Because my, my argument to that, and I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm such a bad hacker at uh-huh. golf. If I land in the trap, there's a good chance I'm three strokes out. You know, I'm I'm three strokes before right. I get it out. Yeah. So you know what I mean. Yeah. So it's well, they got that new rule now where you can take two strokes and take it out of the bunker. Uh huh. So you know that that could be something to think about. But yeah. it's always it's always hard to admit up front that you don't think you're gonna you right know, going into it. You're like, oh, yeah, I got this. Oh yeah, I can get it out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, I just want to know because just because we brought up bunker yeah. and bunker. Okay. All right. Second word of the golf language lesson is platypus. What is a platypus? I have no idea on that one. <laughs> a platypus is hitting a ball out of bounds and still making par. Oh. Platypuses okay. aren't normal and neither is making a par after hitting one out of bounds. Interesting. Yes. I, I kind of like that. Yeah. That's cool. You can use it. So yeah. It's, it's all, all about education, golf education right? here on Nick's Golf Guy podcast. <laughs> All right. And the third word on the golf language lesson is foot wedge. What is a foot wedge okay, in the world so of golf? As far as I've always heard of foot wedge, it's when you don't want to hit the shot, so you just take your foot and kick it somewhere better. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. It's a golf term referring to foot wedge as a slang for a way to assist a golfer in cheating his way out of trouble. It is where the golfer uses his foot to nudge the ball into a better lie. That's such an eloquent way of saying it. Yes. I like that. Yes. <laughs> Assist the golfer. Assist the golfer. I have never done that before ever in not. my life. Never. I don't think there 
are many golfers that could say that. <laughs> for sure. Fantastic. Jessica, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a long time. I've been really looking forward to this opportunity to sit down and talk with you uh, and find about find out about more about your golfer journey. I really want to thank you for coming on. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor to be your first part of the golfer journey. Here. There you go. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. I do look forward to hopefully talking to you, sit down and talk to you before the next season starts. Definitely. Okay. We'll have to do it. All right. Well, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much. I want to remind everyone to follow me on Instagram at Golf Guy Nick for all my latest photos and videos of my golf outing. Also, make sure you like and follow Nick's Golf Guy podcast on Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Samsung, to name a few. I want to thank Jessica Spicer once again for sharing her story and helping me debut my latest installment of Nick's Golf Guy podcast, The Golfer Journey. Stay tuned for more golf course reviews and in-depth conversations surrounding the world of golf here in the coastal Virginia area and beyond in future rounds of Nick's Golf Guy podcast, the podcast for average golfers like me. And that's going to be it for this round 22 of Nick's Golf Guy podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I'll be back with round 23 next round of Nick's Golf Guy podcast, the podcast for average golfers like me. Until then, my fellow average golfers, tee times, tee offs, and better scores for a happy average golfer life.